0: This is Brian Janikowski, Friday, March 16th. I'm Christian Thwaites.
1: I'm Emily taken and let's get started with this week's Market Chat. So Christian, this week we had a, a couple of things going on. Um, I did want to talk about the new uh, chief economic advisor first, um, Larry Kudlow. Uh, obviously, Gary Cohn is out due to differences in um, tariff policy with Donald Trump, But how is Larry Kudlow viewed, and um, what do you think his impact will be? Um,
0: As we know, uh, Gary Cohn's influence seems to have been diminished, particularly around uh, the trade tariffs. And he was uh, apparently, we have never really heard him speak on it, um, against trade tariffs and and fought not to have them imposed, which was the recommendation from uh, the Commerce Department booking at steel. Um, Wilbur Ross's group Um, so two things, one Larry Kudlow most people know him from CNBC but in the past he was an economic strategist at Bear Stearns in the 90s Uh, he was in the Reagan uh, administration and I actually worked with him in the 90s I had an office a couple of doors down from him um, where he was an economic strategist for um, for, uh, Scandia Personally, he's an extremely nice, likable, um, uh, opinionated, but everyone should you know not everyone should be in that kind of position guy. Um, and he, I think, from a policy point of view, there's, there's a couple of things where we can really count on him to be steadfast because he's been very consistent. And that is one that he is basically a a low tax guy. I mean, he he sort of came to the fore in the. 80s under the Reagan administration, when that was a hugely successful policy, he still believed in that. He's sort of been consistent on that for years, and on the same time, he's uh, he's you know an anti-tariffs guy and an open and free trade guy, which ostensibly would put him at odds with the prevailing wisdom in the White House. Um, and in fact, he wrote a a Wall Street Journal article um, with Steve Moore. Ex Cato Institute guy uh, last week saying that the tariffs were in essence a, uh, a tax. So it would be interesting how he does. But he's he's not going to go in there and look for a fight. And I think he's going to be very pragmatic. And um, I, I I think he'll be good. I mean, people call him a CNBC commentator, but uh, you know there's worse professions. <laughs> and, uh, um, he's uh, he and he's um, he, he's a thoughtful guy. But I would just. I would just caution that off the top of my head, I can't name a single uh, chief economic advisor from the last 20 years, that, and especially one where you can point to and say they had a profound effect on the economic policies of the administration. It's just not a particularly influential uh, or, or high visibility person, uh, position. Now, that might change, but... Uh, I, I think we, you know, don't have to get too excited by this, or indeed too concerned by Gary Cohn's departure. It's Gary Cohn's departure is more, I think, the personnel policies of Donald Trump than it is about the economic uh, um, beliefs which he expounded.
1: And of course, we didn't uh, see Gary Cohn's uh, departure reflected all that much in markets. Um, so that would speak to your to your point.
0: Yes, I think that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, so another, uh, another thing that happened this week is the Senate passed um, the Economic Growth, Regulatory Relief, and Consumer Protection Act. Um, and that's quite a mouthful, but could you give us a kind of a summary of what this does um, wh- or what this is aiming to do, um, and what does it mean in terms of uh, potential risks that might open up in our, in our financial system?
0: Well, this went through on Wednesday or Thursday, passed by the Senate, so the House has still got to pass it, and I'm sure they'll want to get their fingerprints on it. But yes, it's um, Senate 2155 off the top of my head, but basically it's decloring a lot of the Dodd-Frank provisions for uh, a bank that might get into administrative trouble and have to have a living will. There are these living will provisions which say, what are you going to do in the event of a liquidity crisis and and a... uh, a, a credit event um and uh and and the fed wants to look at it and approve it and up until now it was all uh banks with assets over 50 billion which is about 60 companies but they've moved that 60 billion 50 billion threshold to 250 which is only 12 companies so uh ostensibly it means that these you know large chunk of, of these and these are some big banks in here the fifth you know fifth third and State Street and Key Bank, uh are, are not going to be subject to the same level of what I think uh, of you know highly um, uh, sort of detailed regulatory oversight they're gonna they're gonna have a little bit more of a, as long as their asset ratios are fine uh, that you know they'll they'll be allowed to do pretty much what they want. So I think it's, uh, the, so we saw that banks in the small cap sector rallied on this because this is clearly kind of part of the deregulatory program uh, of, of the administration. But I, personally don't, I don't think it's a good idea. All these guys, every single one affected by by this deregulation took top money. And some of them still have top money. So I I find it difficult where, uh, you know, we had a, a, a regular a financial crisis uh, these guys took a lot of go- go- um, government and taxpayer money uh, and now they don't have to um, be subject to this sort of level of detailed oversight which, uh, which very large banks do, uh, but I think they're just as much of a potential problem in the economy as they ever were.
1: Regulatory-wise, if this were to pass in Congress, something similar to this at least, um, does this put us back to where we were 10 years ago?
0: No, no, it doesn't. No, I think it, it, that the regular regulation is better. It's not. It's not completely dismantling Dodd Frank, although there are some people would want that to happen. No, I, I think it just means some of the you know wind up provisions where this kind of living will, call it, you know, that's what they call it. So the idea that you know if if the company hits uh, a, a huge liquidity crisis, it's got very definitive plans on how it's going to bail itself out. So. If that happens to this next group, it'll be they'll make it up as they go along, which is what they did with Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's not a great move, but that's the prevailing wisdom right now. Bank stocks did well, but uh, I'm not sure that that's in the longer term in taxpayers' interest. But uh, I know there are people who have different points of view on this.
1: Let's move to the economy. Um, the tax package that was passed late last year, uh, kind of one of the defining assumptions of that package was to presume that we um, would have three uh, percent growth of the economy. Um, I want to ask your your outlook in terms of of whether or not you see us hitting that um, regularly and from a long term perspective, um, because that assumption is quite important when it comes to um, forecasting what the the deficit might be.
0: That's right, and uh, all of the. Um economic growth assumptions behind the tax package which made it less fiscally uh, brutal uh, was that the economy would grow at three percent from an average uh, post-crisis rate of about two percent you know which is a, a big number <laughs> um, and uh, if it doesn't then it just means that it means that tax collections and receipts will go down relative to the economy in other words it's not boosting activity in the sort of Laffer curve, animal spirits, trickle down economics theory, which sort of is really the thesis behind all this. Um, so, if that doesn't happen, then we're seeing this sort of ballooning budget deficit. And we again, and we talked about it last week on this subject of the twin deficits, which was very, a very big issue in the early thousands and even bigger issue in the 1980s, where you had the twin deficits at the current account deficit that's trade plus services plus interest deficit. As well as the budget deficit, and they're both going in the in the wrong direction right now. So it's very important that we have you know good economic growth. We're not going to head into that twin deficit land. So uh, what sparked this? So you to answer your question. It, I, it's possible, but it's very difficult. I think for the economy to grow at three percent, and this first quarter we're coming in at you know under two percent. It looks like, and for 2017 we saw. Two point two percent, you know. So we had, full, you know, three, let's say, be generous, full quarters of the of the new administration. So it, it it's certainly very difficult, and I think you know the uh, the, the growth assumptions are being sort of revised down um, from from the more sort of bullish three percent numbers which we saw earlier.
1: Great. Um, I also wanted to uh, to move to something that you wrote about in the blog, which was. Um, this bond ETF that you wrote about, which is the is the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, AG, A-G-G. Can you just tell us kind of what your findings were here and why it's important? Yes, well, uh,
0: just to kind of preface, the, the, the AG index is really the uh, equivalent to the S&P 500 index in the bond world. And stocks are much easier to construct an index out of than bonds. For the S and P 500. You take roughly the 500 largest companies in the United States by market cap, and in they go. And then you reweight them a couple of times a year. So if you hold the S and P 500 uh, as a as an ETF, you're gonna have, you'll only see three percent turnover in the in the underlying fund. You know, they'll they'll buy a stock which comes into the index and sell a stock that goes out of the index. It's all pretty small, three five percent. A bond index on in the other hand, is very difficult to put together because um, there are lots of different borrowers. You have to put some constraints on it. Otherwise, very big, bad, credit-worthy companies will dominate the index if you do it by size. Um, you have to have um, there's, there's bonds being called all the time, so new bonds have to come in. A new big issue comes in the market. That's included almost straight away. So they don't rebalance twice a year. They rebalance 12 times a year. And if you're a holder in this index, instead of the 3% turnover, you're going to have 250 turnover. And that's just one ETF that I know of, and it's the best one. Uh, And there are others which have higher turnover than that. So uh, it kind of looks like it would be easy to put one together, but it isn't. It's actually quite difficult. And the reason we wrote about it is because the Treasury bonds are in this index, as they should be. They're a big part of the bond market. But during QE, the bonds held by the Fed were taken out of the index on the not unreasonable assumption that they were no longer in circulation, therefore they were taken out of the index. So the treasury holdings went down to about thirty-five percent. Well, as the as the two things happen now, the treasury is unwinding its balance sheet, and there's more treasury issuance because of the budget deficit we just mentioned. So that number is about to go to forty-five percent. That's a very big number, and there's a lot of um, you know index providers who are going to be forced buyers of, uh, of of treasuries. But there's a kind of a silver lining here, which is that. There's an awful lot of demand for you know treasuries coming through through these index recalculations, and I think it'll make the uh, the the rise in interest rates, especially at the longer term, you know, much smoother than it would otherwise be. So, it's 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 an interesting facet of uh, you know this ETF passive management industry and how it's uh, affecting the wider economy.
1: That's great. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening.
0: And please uh, rate us on, on Apple iTunes. That's the way people get noticed and we get noticed and uh, gives us good feedback on what we might need to improve. Thank you very much. And here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process represents our investments, investment strategy, of the day this commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is general information purposes only, references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to so buy a sellout security. The security as mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended. Although we deem reliable the source of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy and completeness of any statements, or numerical data, past performance, and no indication of future results.